Well, good morning. Are you glad to be here today? It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? God is good, and thank you, Brian and the band, for helping us worship this morning. It's good. It's good this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, you know, if you're watching online, maybe you just stumbled across Connecting Point, and so welcome. We're in the midst of a series, and, and what we're doing this summer uh, is we're just taking these weeks of summer, and we're digging into some of the great stories that Jesus told, so we're calling this series, Tell Me a Story, and uh, we're going to look at another great story this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Luke chapter 12 the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And uh, the, the setting for this morning's story is this. In verse 1 of Luke, chapter 12, Luke tells us that a crowd of many thousands had gathered around Jesus. And uh, we've talked quite a bit about this over the past several weeks, but um, as Jesus travels from place to place to place, uh, his popularity is continuing to grow, and there, there's, nobody has ever seen anybody like Jesus before, and uh, he, he just, it's just, Jesus is different than anything they've ever experienced before. In fact, for the people of Jesus' day, they lived in a world where if the truth were to be known, life was just cheap. There was not a whole lot of value given to human life. And in this society that Jesus entered into, uh, the, the rich and the educated and the powerful, these were the ones who ruled things, kind of, kind of like today. Uh, but the rich and the powerful ruled and the educated. And if you didn't fall into any of those categories, then the truth is you didn't really matter a whole lot. There were only two classes, really. There was no middle class. There was the rich and the powerful, and then there were everybody else. And so the people who Jesus was ministering to, the people um, who were poor, they had no value in this culture. In this culture, women had no value. In this culture, children had no value. People with disabilities and sickness had no value. And so it was into this world that this carpenter from Nazareth entered into. And he comes onto the scene. He just kind of bursts onto the scene. And he keeps talking about this kingdom, this new kingdom. And, and in this kingdom, it is a kingdom where everything as you know it is turned upside down. In this kingdom that Jesus talks about, those who were at the bottom of the heap, those who nobody really paid a whole lot of attention to, uh, except for maybe to avoid, all of a sudden in Jesus' kingdom, they matter. In this kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about, it was a kingdom where, where hungry people get fed. It was a kingdom where the poor are not taken advantage of, but instead are blessed. It was a, a kingdom where those who have experienced heartache and sorrow and, 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 and have been left out and left behind and forgotten about and ignored, instead they are paid attention to and they were comforted and they are valued. 
And, and what made Jesus' teaching so powerful were not just the words that he spoke, although the words that he spoke were incredibly powerful. What made this kingdom seem so real and so powerful to the people is that he didn't just talk about its power, he actually demonstrated it. Wherever Jesus went, sick people got healed. Deaf people could hear, blind people could see, lame people could walk. Jesus even raised the dead. And so there was this great power that came along, this demonstration of power with this kingdom that Jesus talked about. And so you can imagine that if you weren't part of the rich and the powerful, you know, if you're, if you're, part, if you're, you're sick or you're poor, you're hurting, you're broken, you feel left out or left behind, then, then you would just flock to Jesus. Because through him, for the first time, maybe in your life, you would sense value. You would feel accepted and loved. And as a result of that, maybe for the first time in your life, you would have something that you never had before. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing. And Jesus gives people hope. And so what we find here at the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of this story, is something that's not really unusual, that there are thousands of people that are gathered around Jesus, and they're all seeking hope. And, and imagine this, you know, in Jesus' day, he didn't have the benefit of a sound system or microphone like we have today. So imagine thousands of people gathered around. Jesus is teaching, and so everybody's pressing in, trying to get close to hear what Jesus has to say. They want to know more about this new kingdom and their place in it. And so here's Jesus, thousands of people gathered around him. He's teaching about the kingdom. He's talking about this is what it's like in the kingdom. And right in the middle of, he's preaching this incredible sermon. And Luke tells us right in the middle of the sermon, this guy stands up and interrupts Jesus. And he's like, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide our inheritance. And everybody's like, what? Where? in the world did that come from? I mean, here's Jesus talking about the kingdom, and this guy interrupts Jesus with a totally unrelated question. Parents of small children, you understand this, right? You know, maybe you're in a situation where you're trying, it's a teaching moment, and you're talking to one of your kids, and maybe, you know, it's something like, you know, you shouldn't hit your brother. Because hitting people's not nice. And there are times that we all get frustrated and we learn, we need to learn not to hurt people. We need to learn to talk it out. And you're in the middle of this great teaching moment, and all of a sudden they're like, Can we get a dog? <laughs> That's kind of what's happening here. This guy's like, Can we get a dog? And this guy's like, No, Jesus, would you deal with my annoying brother in the middle of it? It'd be kind of like this Samantha Wilson. You sit in the front, you're gonna get picked on. But it'd be kind of like in the middle of this service if Samantha Wilson were to stand up and say, hey, pastor, could you tell Brett to quit leaving the toilet seat up? <laughs> that would be rude. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. I would be annoyed if you did that in the middle of my sermon. And just like Jesus was apparently annoyed here because Jesus replies, he's like, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, why in the world are you bothering me with this right now? Why, why are you asking me to be judge over this? Now, it was not uncommon 
for people to go to a rabbi to ask them to pass judgment on a situation. That wasn't an uncommon thing. But what we need to understand here is the issue at hand was something that already had been made very clear. In this culture that Jesus was ministering to and lived in, and this man lived in, in this culture, there were very strict inheritance laws that were already in place. And the law said this, and if you were a Jewish citizen, if you were a Jewish person, you would know this. The law said this, that whenever a father died, the oldest brother would get a double portion of the inheritance. So the oldest brother would get double, all of the younger brothers would get like a single portion of the inheritance. All right, so do we have any firstborns here this morning? We got any firstborns? All right, I'm a firstborn, so in Jesus' day it would be great to be us. For the rest of you, so sorry. Life is hard, get used to it, you know, but this is the way that it would be. And, and so everybody knew what this law was, and so more than likely what's happening here is that this was probably a younger brother, right? I mean, it's probably not the older brother going, hey, this law's not very fair. It was probably a younger brother, and it wasn't an issue that he didn't know what the law was. It wasn't an issue that he didn't know what he was going to get. It was, it was an issue of he knew the law, and he didn't like it. He wanted more. And so this, I love this about Jesus, that we talked a little bit about this last week, that, that Jesus being God had the ability to do what only God could do, that, that Jesus knew people's thoughts. We talked about this last week. And so knowing his thoughts, knowing his heart, in other words, what Jesus knew that for this guy, it wasn't really as much a legal problem that needed judgment as it was a heart problem that needed repentance. This is the genius of Jesus. Jesus, you know, he could have made a legal judgment here. Again, as a rabbi, he had the authority to do that. But, but because of the genius of Jesus, Jesus understood something that we need to understand. And that is that legal or political answers will never solve heart problems. Jesus understood this. So, sometimes as a pastor, I'll have people ask me, you know, uh, as a Christian, how involved should I, should I get in, in impacting laws and politics? And every time I, I'm asked that question, I always answer it the same way, you should totally get involved. I believe that 100% of Christians should vote. I think that that is an important part of being a good citizen. And listen, I think that, that Christians ought to be the best citizens on the planet. And so all Christians ought to vote. But here's the deal. As Christians, we can never allow ourselves to fall into the trap that somehow the law and politics are the answers to fix all of the world's problems. How many know that we live in a world that is full of problems? If you didn't raise your hand, I'll just, I'll just tell you now. We live in a world full of problems. 
We do. This world is full of problems. We have, we have moral problems. We have social problems. We have racial problems. We have political problems. We have economic problems. We live in a world that is full of some pretty major problems. But as Christians, what we have to understand and never forget is that Jesus did not come into this world primarily to fix societal problems. That's not why he came. He came to fix spiritual problems. And it's not that Jesus didn't, doesn't care about all of the other stuff. He does. It's just that Jesus understands what we need to understand is that the biggest problems we face, rather than being societal problems, they're spiritual problems. And Jesus knows that when you take care of the heart problem, the spiritual problems, guess what happens to the societal problems? They take care of themselves. When people's hearts are changed... And so Jesus came to fix these problems. Yes, he cares about things like poverty and racism and addiction and immorality and gender inequity. You name it. But he knew that when you fix the heart problem, all of those things will take care of themselves. You see, the truth is this. All of our societal issues are nothing more than symptoms of a deeper problem, a spiritual problem. Bible talks about it, calls it sin. If you want to know why the world's a mess, I'll tell you why. It's because of sin. That's why the world's a mess. And so being God, Jesus recognizes that this guy's problem is not necessarily a legal one. It's not about the amount of money that he's getting in the inheritance. His problem is a sin problem. He's greedy. That's his problem. He has this insatiable desire for more. And so Jesus is like, you know, but you're asking the wrong question. And, 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 and Jesus is like, I'm, you know, you're asking the wrong question, and so I'm not going to waste my time giving you an answer that ultimately I know is not going to solve your problem. Instead, Jesus does what Jesus often does is he says, let me tell you a story. This is one of the things that I love about Jesus. Jesus, even, even when we're asking the wrong questions, Jesus can look deep into our hearts. He can identify the real issue. And we may have asked the wrong question, but he'll always give us the right answer. We need to remember that. Because sometimes, you know, we get frustrated when we pray and we ask Jesus something and Jesus doesn't directly answer the question that we ask. We need to understand that Jesus may not always give us the answer that we want, but what he will do is he will always give us the answer that we need. He'll always give us the answer we need. And so Jesus recognizes this guy's deeper issue, and so he says, let me tell you a story. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And then I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, 
You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I think if there's ever a story that is perfect for the world that we live in, it's this story right here. I think as 21st century Christians living in a very affluent society, and come on, we do, we're some of the most affluent people in the world. That as Christians living in an affluent society, then we, we probably ought to pay attention to this story. And what I find most interesting about this passage, um, and just what jumped out at me, is that God actually calls this guy a name. He calls him a fool. Um, now, now, I don't know about you, but out of all of the things that I could think of that I would like for God to have call me... Um, Fool is not one of them, all right? Fool, that's, that's not a good thing. It's pretty strong language. Imagine God calling you a fool. And, and we don't want to misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. There, there are some people who use this passage of Scripture to just kind of rail against anybody who's wealthy. And, and let me just make it very clear, this is not a passage of Scripture that is bashing wealth. It's not doing that. Jesus is not saying that this guy is a fool because he's rich. Jesus is not saying in this passage of Scripture that in order to be one of my followers, that what you have to do is you have to take a vow of poverty. This is not what this passage is about. In other words, rich is not the problem. Fool is the problem. Rich simply describes what kind of fool this guy is. And so if you haven't figured this out yet, there are rich fools and there are poor fools. There are educated fools and there are uneducated fools. There are fools in position of authority. Come on, I thought for sure I'd get an amen on that one. And there are fools who have absolutely no authority whatsoever. Jesus says this guy is simply a fool who just so happened to be rich. Now, this is kind of hard for us to wrap our brains around because in our culture, we typically don't tend to view people with money as fools. In our culture, instead, we envy people who have money. You know, you must, they must be pretty smart. They must have it all together because look at where they're at financially. Look at what they've built. Look at what they've accumulated. Look at what they've done for themselves. And so one of the things that this scripture teaches us is that the only thing that money makes you, some of you might want to write this down, the only thing that money makes you is rich. Doesn't make you happy. Doesn't have the ability to solve all your problems. That doesn't make everything in your life okay. And according to Jesus, it can't keep you from being a fool. Money is, money is something that is amoral. It, it, it's neither good nor bad. Now, it can be used for either good or bad, but money itself is simply a tool. What, what makes it good or bad is who is using it. 
The person that is using it determines whether the money is leveraged for good or if it's leveraged for bad, just like any other tool. And so this is not so much a story about wealth as it is about foolishness. This is what we need to be paying attention to. So what is it that made this guy such a fool? Well, I, I just want to really quick give you three things that I think just jump out of the text, all right? Here they are. Number one is this. This guy was a fool because he trusted in his own wisdom. That's what made him foolish. He he was a fool because he trusted in his own wisdom. In fact, when you look at this story, never once does it say that this guy inquired of God about anything. He he never stops and asks God, you know, what do you want me to do with the abundance that you've given to me? In fact, let's, let's just look again at the language that this guy uses. In verse 17, it says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, notice where the focus is. I, me, mine, myself. Eleven times in just this short passage of scripture, eleven times it's all about this is what I think I ought to do for me. This guy is a fool Because never once does he stop and say, you know what? I I probably ought to stop and ask God what he thinks. You know, God, since you blessed me with all of this, what do you want me to do with all that you have blessed me with? He's a fool because he doesn't follow the instruction that is found in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is, is referred to as the book of wisdom. And it was written, or at least portions of it were written by Solomon, who's considered to be the wisest man who ever lived. I want you to listen to what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say. They say this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. This guy doesn't do that. Instead of seeking his will, depending on his wisdom, leaning into his wisdom, this guy depends on his own understanding. He leans into his own wisdom, what he knows. Let let me tell you the problem with what we know. The um, The problem with what you know is you already know what you know. Sometimes you need to know what you don't know. Let, let, let that sink in for a minute. I'll say it on this side. I don't think that side got it. <clears throat> the problem with what you know is you already know what you know. Sometimes you need to know what you don't know. The, the most wise thing that we can do is we can tap into, we can lean into. This has been offered to us and afforded to us. It's not just for special people. 
But we can lean into the wisdom of God. And listen, if you're not leaning into, tapping into the wisdom of God, you're missing out because he knows what you don't know. And here's the deal. If you're only operating in your own limited knowledge instead of tapping into God's unlimited knowledge and wisdom of God, guess what that makes you? Jesus says a fool. It's foolish to not do that. So so he was a fool because he, he only tapped into his own wisdom and never tapped into the wisdom of God. The second reason he was a fool It was because he mistakenly thought he was blessed simply so that he could consume more for himself. I mean, here's a guy who by all accounts is already doing very well for himself financially. He's set. Look Look at verse 16. It says, the ground of a certain what? Say it. Rich man. The ground of a certain rich man. In other words, this guy is already blessed before he yields an abundant harvest. And so verse 17, this rich guy who's already blessed thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In other words, his bins are already full. He's already at capacity He's already rich. And so Jesus says that one of the things that makes this rich guy a fool is because when he receives this blessing, the very first place his mind goes is, oh, I need to tear down my already full bins so I can build bigger bins and I can fill them up so that I can have more for me. You see, this guy's problem was that he had no concept of stewardship. And so rather than being a steward of all that God had blessed him with, instead he mistakenly thought that he was the owner of all that God had blessed him with. And that all of this wealth had been given to him for him to consume for himself rather than to steward for the God who had given it to him. Come on, if that doesn't perfectly describe the culture we live in, I don't know what does. Recently, Laura and I have kind of gotten into this program on the History Channel. It's Dane Johnson's fault, so we've been binging on this this last week. But um, it's called The Food That Built America. And I don't know if any of you have seen that before. It's a really interesting program, but um, it, it shows the history of some of the great food companies in the United States. And so uh, companies like um, Heinz and Kellogg's and Kraft and General Mills, and it, it tells the story of the company, but it tells the story of the people uh, who built those companies, guys, guys like Milton Hershey and Frank Mars and C.W. Post and Will Kellogg. And, and what really intrigued me most is I watched these stories about these guys who most of them started from absolutely nothing. All they had was a dream. And they, 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 they scrimped and they fought and they clawed and they saved and they just kept at it, you know, chasing this dream. Many of them on the verge of bankruptcy until finally, finally, after all of this fighting, they had a breakthrough. And, and what really intrigued me was that the same story tended to be repeated over and over and over again. And not in every case, but in many of the cases. And the story was this. It was that once these guys made it, 
Once their companies blew up and they went from having nothing to being multi-millionaires, in, in nearly every case, no matter how much they made, it just didn't seem to be enough. They always wanted more. You know, if I could just put my competitor out of business. If I could just corner the market, you know, number two is not good enough. I need to be number one. I, I need more. I want more. I just have to have more. If I could just have more. And as I watched that, I thought, oh, my Lord, that is the American way. There, there's just something about us that we admire the, the, that tenacity, you know, we call it drive. It's the American spirit. The only problem with it is this, is that whenever there's an insatiable hunger for more, the problem is no matter how much you feed it, it's never satisfied. When, when the primary thing is just, I, I've got I've to have more. When all of my world is centered around that, the reality is that hunger can never, ever be satisfied. And the reality is, if you're not careful, we need to understand this. If you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can all fall into that same trap, no matter how much we make. We look at those guys and say, oh, yeah, you know, look at them. I had $127 uh, you know, million, and that wasn't enough. They needed more. But, but what about us? We, we can fall into that same trap, you know, no matter how much you make. You're making $30,000 a year. The temptation is to think, man, if I just made fifty. If I, if I just made $50,000 a year, then everything would be good, only to discover that once you made 50, not much has changed, except for the fact that your barns are bigger. Now you own your own home and you drive a newer car, and all of a sudden you're faced with the reality that there's always a bigger home, and there's always a nicer car, and so now if I, you know, rather than if I just made 50, it's if I just made 100,000, then everything would be good. Can I tell you that's a trap? In fact, I think one of the questions that should arise from this story is the question that we all have to answer for ourselves, and that's this. How much is enough? How, how, how much is enough? For this greedy young man who interrupted Jesus' sermon for the rich young ruler, for the many titans who built America. And sadly, sometimes for us, our answer is enough is more. More is the answer to that question. More is the answer to that question. We just want more so that we can have more to consume. And the problem is when we keep consuming and, and when everything centers around uh, me, myself, mine. The problem with that is there isn't any room for anybody else. And the thought never even enters our mind that maybe the reason that God has blessed us with an abundance is not so that I can consume more, but maybe he blessed me so that, now get ready for this, Maybe he blessed me so that I could give some of it away. That's not American. 
Maybe the reason God has blessed us is it so that we could bless somebody else, so that we could give some of it away. You see, we fall into the trap when we think that all that God has blessed us with is ours to consume. We, we need to understand, as Christians, we have to understand this, that we're not called to be consumers, that we are called to be stewards. We talk about stewardship, we do a stewardship campaign, and we talk about, you know, give God 10% of your time. Now, give God all of it. It's all his. He needs to de determine what you do with it. Inquire of the Lord. I love, I love the question that the Apostle Paul asks. He says, what is it that you have received that hasn't been given to you? And the answer is nothing. Everything I have has been given to me. Everything I have, God has blessed me with. And if he blessed me with it, what he wants me to do is he wants me to give it back to him so that he can leverage it and use it. Why? Because Jesus keeps talking about the importance of this kingdom. That's what's important. The kingdom. Last one, number three. This guy was a fool, not, not only because he relied on his own wisdom and not only because he considered himself a, a consumer rather than a steward, he was a fool because he spent more time and energy preparing for retirement than he did for eternity. Well, one of the foolish mistakes that so many people make is that they, they don't think long-term, short-term thinking. All their decisions are based on short-term thinking. Well, those who are wise, they, they tend to think in, in terms of the, the long run. They are long-term thinkers, making decisions not just based on the here and the now, but on what is best for the long run. And so Jesus, he says, this guy is a fool, because all he planned for was what he could enjoy in this life. He had no regard for eternity. I, I, I read this quote uh, this past week and I thought, man, this is good. Somebody, I don't, know, I don't know who it was, but somebody said, a sensible man will not choose what is best for himself in his 20th year or his 70th year, but rather what is best in his 20,000th year and his 70th thousandth year. Sensible man doesn't just think in terms of 20 and 70, but thinks in terms of thousands. <laughs> you see, what I, what I hope you walk away with today is, is you walk away understanding this, that you were created for more than just this life. When God created you, he was thinking long-term. You were created for more than just this life, that you were created for eternity. And however long this life may wind up being for you. And come on, the truth is, some of us may not live that long of lives. It's true. There are no guarantees in life. Some of us may be blessed and live, you know, to a ripe old age, but, but here's the deal. However long your life may be, it is only a blip compared to eternity. The Bible says it like this. It says that life is like a vapor, that it's here in one moment and gone in the next. I, I, I think it's hard for us to understand the concept of eternity. Because 
you know, in, in all fairness, this is our only perspective, right? The life that we've lived, the years that we live, this is our only perspective. And so it's hard for us to understand the concept of eternity. And so I was thinking about how could I drive this home? How could I better help us understand the concept of eternity? And, and, I, and I remembered this illustration that I had seen a number of years ago. It's not mine. I didn't come up with it. Somebody else did. I, I don't know who did. But uh, I'll never forget this, this illustration. Some of you may have seen it before. But I want you to imagine this. Brett and Sam, will you come help me? Um, grab one end of the rope here, and you grab this end, and let's stretch it out. And uh, we're going to have a tug-of-war match. And so one of you is the devil and one say, or God. You can decide which one. No, I'm just kidding. That would be interesting, though, wouldn't it? You know, whichever side wins. But um, anyway, so imagine that this rope represents eternity. And just imagine that it goes on forever that way. It doesn't. It stops at Brett uh, because we, you know, we, could, we couldn't get one that goes on forever. And it costs 59 cents a foot, so I only bought this long of a, a rope. But, but imagine this is your life and it goes on for eternity. And imagine that this little red peace is your life here on earth. 70, 80, 100 years, this is your life here on earth. Now, how much sense would it make for me to pour 100% of my time and my energy and my thinking and my resources on this one little piece when I've got all of this ahead of me. I, I'm just amazed at how many people, you know, all they think about is, man, if, if I could just, if I could just get here, right here, oh, if I could just get or if I could, better yet, if I could just scrimp and save, and I could make it to, to like right here, then I could enjoy all, all of this right here. How foolish is that? When Jesus says what we do right here is going to determine what happens to us here. The way we live our lives here is going to determine what happens to us for all the rest of eternity. Jesus says this man was a fool. Because all he thought about was this and gave no regard to that. Thank you, guys. You sit down. And I think what Jesus wants us to understand this morning is that, yeah, this matters, but what really matters is all of this. What we do here is going to impact this. And so let me, let me ask you, which is more wise Spending all of my energy trying to get myself as much pleasure, make myself as comfortable as, as I can during this little red part, or doing what the Bible refers to as storing up treasures in heaven. P putting them into an account that will last for eternity. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life for more than just this. I mean, I want to live this 
to, to, to the fullest extent. Jesus said that I have come so that they might have life and have it to the full. Might live it to the max. I, I want to live it to the max. But, but here's the deal. I want to live for more than this. I want to live not as foolish, but as wise. I want to I lean into the wisdom of God. I don't want to only rely on my own limited wisdom. I, I know I need God's wisdom in my life. I want to live not just like a consumer, but I want to live like a steward. Understanding that everything that I have, God has blessed me with. And in fact, I want to live out like what John Wesley said. I love what Wesley said one time. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, so you can give all you can. I want to live my life like that, but most of all, I want to live my life not with a little limited perspective, but I want to operate, I want to make every decision um, with an eternal perspective. Not just short-term thinking, living for the long-term, living for the long haul. I was created for eternity, man. I'm going to live like it. When I stand before our Heavenly Father, and this is a place where all of us are going to stand, we're, we're going to hear something. We're going to hear these words, either, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little things, and so now come and enjoy the great things that I have prepared for you. Or, you're going to hear these words, you fool. You fool. You, you totally missed the reason that I put you on that planet. You totally missed it, that you were built, you were created for relationship with me. And instead, you only live for yourself. And there is nothing more foolish than that. I don't ever want to hear those words. I just want to hear, well done. And the only way that we can do that is we, when we live as wise. And the wisest decision that you can ever make is inviting Jesus into your life to be the Lord and Savior of your life. So here's what we're going to do. Brian, would you come? And band, would you come? We're going to pray real quick. And we're not going to take a lot of time to do this. I just want to give you the opportunity that um, if you've never made that decision, if you're watching us online, today's your day. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my heart. And so I want to lead you in that prayer. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, today, you know, there are some that you're, you're speaking to right in this moment, some in this room, some out uh, in their homes or their cars or wherever they may be watching this online. And, and if the truth were to be known, um, they've been living more like fools than living as wise. And Father, you want us to live that way. And so today, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that has not made that decision to just surrender their lives to you, your invitation has always come. Your arms are wide open. We've we sang that song earlier that you're the kind of God who will kick down walls and you'll chase us and pursue us until we finally just surrender to you. And so today, if you've never made that decision, just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I give myself to you. And what you need to understand, if you prayed that prayer this morning, that Jesus is faithful. If you meant it in your heart, 
then Jesus is faithful. And what he promised, he will do. And so now, you can live as wise. And you don't have to do it on your own. Because Jesus said, I've given you the Holy Spirit who will help guide you into all things. So we can listen to his voice and we can seek wisdom. And there may be some here this morning, and you made that decision a long time ago, but the truth is, you may be fallen into the trap or one of the many traps that we've talked about this morning. And the awesome part about this life that we've been called to is, you know, we, 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 we think about repentance and we think about it in, in a, as a, sometimes as a one-time deal, that I repent of my sins and I give my life to Jesus. All repentance means is turn and go a different direction. And so sometimes if we, we get off track and we're heading the wrong way a little bit, we need to stop and repent, turn and head in the direction he wants us to go. All it takes is Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you've made this, uh, made me aware of this. You've made me aware that this is going on in my life, that I've had this attitude, that I've had these thoughts, that these goals haven't lined up with what you want, that I haven't been uh, faithful in what you blessed me with, and today I just repent of that. I want to head in a different direction, and with your help, I'm just going to live as wise and not as, as foolish. We just believe that Jesus will help you do that. And so, Lord, we just thank you today for your goodness to us. Thank you for the fact that there's wisdom that we can tap into that is beyond ourselves. That we can know what we don't know. We can know what you know. Your word tells us that you've given us the mind of Christ. <laughs> and so we can operate in that instead of our own thinking. So we praise you for that and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.